Hello, humans. It's that time again. Spooky season. Now, every year around the same time, I get asked if Christians should celebrate Halloween or not. Well, for the answer to that question, you're going to have to watch my other video, How Christianity Ruins Halloween. Hmm. Or does it? Well, I guess you'll have to find out in that other video. But spooky season is also the time when people typically place their focus on the paranormal due to the entertainment industry profiting off of all Halloween-related themes. Now, one of the topics of great interest people usually ask about is the belief of ghosts, whether that ghost is good or bad. Pleasure to meet you, sir. With such shows as Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Nation, Ghost Asylum, Ghost Trackers, Ghost Brothers, A Haunting, The Haunted, Haunted History, When Ghosts Attack, etc. Look, it's not difficult to understand why so many people ask me about ghosts. Television shows have implanted false information in the minds of many, profiting off people's fears. Now, at best, these shows teach the idea that ghosts are simply spirits with unfinished business. No, 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 but remember, ghosts can't hurt you, okay? They're simply spirits with unfinished business, all right? But worst case scenario feeds people's fears that these ghosts have the power to harm them. I felt I'm not dealing with a sane ghost. I'm dealing with a cold-blooded rapist killer. And then, either demonically possessed or mentally ill people make matters even worse by making absurd claims on public media platforms. So for example, one woman claimed that she has had sex with at least 15 ghosts and she even gave up men in order to be able to have sex with ghosts. Because she likes that better. You had, you had sex? Yeah, I had sex with the ghost. With a ghost? Yeah. Yes. But you can't wrap your arms around a ghost. No. So how, what, how, physically, how does, um, how does the sex bit happen? And does a sexual experience with a ghost end in orgasm? Um, for me, yeah. So once you go ghost, you never go back? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Is that right? It is, yes. I would never, I've got no interest in men now. Now, I go into great detail about much of this evil that exists behind the scenes in my published article about Halloween. But for this video, I want to focus specifically on the spiritual reality behind ghosts. Understand this. Anyone who is attempting to contact ghosts or talk to the dead is actually communicating with demons. Listen, there are no human spirits lost or wandering about as if they somehow escaped God's omniscience and God doesn't know where they are. Further, that would mean that God isn't powerful enough or doesn't possess the authority necessary to direct and place them where they are truly assigned to be. No, scripture is clear that the dead cannot return without God's divine seal of approval for resurrection because there is a great chasm fixed by God. And neither demons nor Satan himself can usurp God's authority over life and death. Further, nothing happens without God knowing about it and permitting it to happen. Or did we forget that God is omniscient? And finally, Hebrews 9.27 is clear in that, look, we all die once and then afterwards comes judgment. And so if people are not communicating with humans, well, who or what are they communicating with? Well, look, let's just be honest. Sometimes people are lying and they're not communicating with anyone. They're just con artists and they're trying to make money. 
However, sometimes people truly are communicating with a spirit, but that spirit is a demon. It is not a human. But, okay, so who or what are demons? Well, to answer that question, we must first ask, who or what are angels? Angels are created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies, unless God allows them to use a physical body. Again, God possesses all power and all control in any given situation. God is omnipotent. So, angels were created, and angels are spiritual beings, and they do not ordinarily have physical bodies. And if the angels are in spirit form, well, humans cannot see them unless God opens a person's eyes and allows that person to see the angels. So, when angels are seen in physical form, God has allowed them to use a physical form. But nowhere in the Bible do angels ever have the ability to exist in a physical body without God's allowance unless it is in a demonic possession where the demon has entered into an already existing human body. And listen, the only reason a person gets possessed is because that person, through his or her own free will, has opened him or herself up to possession. But that person would not be a Christian because Christians cannot be possessed. Now, Angels are also known as other names, such as sons of God, or holy ones, or spirits, or watchers, or thrones, dominions, principalities, and authorities. Um, scripture also mentions three other names of heavenly beings, uh, cherub or cherubim, seraph or seraphim, and living creatures. Whether we think of these as special types of angels in a broad sense of the term, or whether we think of them as heavenly beings distinct from angels, they are nonetheless created spiritual beings who serve and worship God in heaven. Now, angels, unlike the omnipresent God, are only able to be in one place at a time. And because angels can only be in one place at a time, what happened to the angels who were cast down? Well, if angels had sinned and were cast down from their heavenly positions, as it is written, then angels possess the free will necessary to be moral beings. Now, consistently throughout time, Christian theology has stated and still states that sometime between the events of Genesis 1.31 and Genesis 3.1, there must have been an event in the heavenly realm when a third of the angels rebelled against God, freely choosing to be evil. Their sin seems to have been pride, a refusal to accept their assigned place, for they they did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, as it is written in Jude 1.6. And Isaiah 14.12-15 is believed to be in reference to both the king of Babylon and the Satan. Now, in fact, I'll explain why I'm, why I'm saying the Satan. I'll explain that soon. In fact, listen, Babylon was an actual place in past history but it is also the future place of rebellion in Revelation. And also, uh, regarding the passage found in Isaiah, 
It would not be uncommon for Hebrew prophetic speech to pass from descriptions of human events to descriptions of heavenly events that are parallel to them that the earthly events picture in a limited way. So, for example, Psalm 45 moves from a description of an earthly king to a description of a divine messiah. Now, if this is so, then the sin of the Satan is described as one of pride and attempting to be equal to God in status and authority, and it would also be symbolically described in Ezekiel 28, 11-18. And Luke 10.18 describes the Satan being cast down. Well, why? Well, the Satan's pride and hatred of humans is evident in the book of Job. And of course, look, this is why I'm saying the Satan. The very name Satan in Hebrew is not a proper name at all. Rather, it's a general term or title that means opponent or adversary. So in war, an enemy in court, an accuser. The verb Satan means to be an adversary, to oppose someone or something. Thus, whenever this word is used as a proper name, the definite article is used, the Satan, and it means the adversary, the opponent, or the accuser. In fact, uh, the Hebrew for accuse has the same root for Satan. The one who opposes God and accuses humans became known as the proper name, Satan. Uh, Consistently throughout time, Christian theology has defined demons as being evil angels who sinned against God and who now continually work with Satan to bring about evil in the world. Satan is known as the ruler of this world. And Who else would team up with Satan and help him if not the other angels who were cast down with him for their rebellion? Satan's sin was mutiny, and he was found guilty of trying to usurp the throne in order to make himself the Most High. But angels are not omnipresent and can only be in one place at a time. Thus, Satan would not be able to be everywhere at the same time. So, who or what is helping Satan. Well, it stands to reason that the other angels who were cast down with him are still on Satan's team and are helping him. They're working together as a team against the Lord and his children. Now, some people believe that demons are not fallen angels, but are mere minions or pawns or spawns doing Satan's bidding. Yeah, but if that were true, then how were these minions created and by whom were they created? There is no biblical reference to support a lower class of evil minions ever created, nor is there any biblical evidence that Satan possesses the power to create evil minions. After all, Satan is merely a fallen angel. Also, if demons are not the rebellious angels, where are the other fallen angels and what are they doing right now if not helping Satan? Now, passages such as Deuteronomy 32, 16-17, Psalm 106, 35-37, and 1 Corinthians 10, 20, they inform us that demons pose as false gods. Now, they've been trying to redirect humans away from God ever since the fall. Who else would try to steal worship away from the Lord if not Satan and the other angels who teamed up with him prior to being cast down? A demon 
and an unclean spirit are synonymous in Scripture in many passages. Um, in fact, Luke 9.42 specifically states that the unclean spirit is a demon. And Mark 5.5 reveals a demonic influence due to the man cutting himself, consistent with the purpose of Satan to destroy all the good works of God Pagan worship of demonic idols was characterized by destructive practices such as the sacrifice of children or inflicting bodily harm on oneself and cult prostitution as a part of pagan worship. Worship of demons will regularly lead to immoral and self-destructive practices, but likewise the reciprocal is true in that practicing immorality and self-destructive deeds can lead to demons. Whether demons possess humans or merely convince humans to worship them, even if the humans don't believe that it's demons, their ultimate end goal is the same of Satan and the rebellious angels. They steal worship away from God and then redirect the humans who were made in the image of God so that they go into destruction. In conclusion, demons are unclean spirits and angels are spiritual beings who are clean in heaven. Therefore, it is reasonable to believe that the angels who were cast down with Satan are the ones known as demons because they are spiritual beings who are no longer clean. They've been cast down. Again, Luke 10.18 describes Satan being cast down. But Revelation 12.7-9 also describes Satan and his angels being cast down together. And prior to them being cast down, Scripture states that those angels were helping Satan wage war against God. And because those angels partner with Satan against God and all of humanity, we must test the spirits to see whether they are from God, as it says in 1 John 4.1. Because even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11.14. And a fallen angel may preach to us a false gospel, as is warned in Galatians 1.8. Which, by the way, this is what happened with both Muhammad of Islam and Joseph Smith of Mormonism, or Latter-day Saints. Well, how? Well, by either a demon possessing a human and then speaking through that person, or convincing a person of a lie, and then that person spreads the lie by his or her own free will. And in fact, yes, I do. I believe this is how both Islam and Mormonism, or Latter-day Saints, originated. Think about it, both of the founders received their false gospels from an angel. And then finally, Scripture informs us that Jesus himself told us that angels are Satan's helpers. In Matthew 25, 41, it says, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Therefore, demons and fallen angels are synonymous. And because angels can only be in one place at a time, Satan, who is a fallen angel, cannot possibly deceive the entire world without help. Thus, the rebellious angels, the demons, partner with Satan. So, if demons are mere 
pawns or spawns, as some would claim, and not the rebellious angels, well then how were these spawns or pawns created and by whom were they created? Again, there is no biblical reference to support a lower class of evil minions ever created, nor is there any biblical evidence that Satan possesses the power to create evil minions. Now, some have quoted Matthew 12, 43-45 in order to argue that the unclean spirit roams seeking a host, and so it can't be a fallen angel. However, that description actually fits well with demons because no fallen angel is described as having a physical body because they are unclean spirits. All angels are spiritual beings. The only angels who have ever been uh, seen in physical form are the ones doing God's will because God granted them the ability and the right to use a physical form. Someone uh, once wrote to me that the, one of the reasons that he says this is because I know angels can physically interact with people and demons seem to need to a, they seem to need a host. Angels can still do physical things with their bodies like in Genesis chapter 6 or like when God and his angels sat with Abraham. Well, yeah, okay. but however, the only time angels ever had a physical form was when God allowed them to do so. So, in addition, those angels always accomplished God's will, not evil. So, the rebellious angels would not have uh, been granted the ability or the right to use a physical body unless they were demons who possessed people. But again, possession is different. So, in fact... Nowhere in the Bible does a fallen angel ever use a physical form like the elect angels of God do. Alright, now some people believe that the Nephilim were a blasphemous crossbreed of fallen angels and human females. However, the very same verse, which is Genesis 6-4, it clearly states that the Nephilim were mighty men and men of renown. They were not angels. They were mere men, albeit giants, such as Goliath was a giant. In addition to this, it is written that humans in the resurrection will be like the angels who neither marry nor are given into marriage. Thus, there is no reason to believe that an angel would have a physical form to have sexual intercourse with a human female. Now, some people point to 2 Peter 2, verses 4 to 5, as proof that the angels sinned sexually with human females. However, no, the text simply does not state that they did such a sin, and we should not read into it that way. Now, as we know, the angels' sin was pride and trying to usurp the throne. Uh, and that is why the angels did not keep to their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, as it says in Jude 1.6. Also, look, we need to remember that Lamech deviated from the original design of one male and one female, which was Adam and Eve. Um, and he became the first man who had more than one wife. More than likely, in Genesis 6-2, when it says, They took as their wives any they chose. This is about sexual perversion and immorality. So, in other words, they saw, they desired they took, and uh, not keeping their lineage pure, such as the followers of God among the male descendants of Seth. So in other words, the godly line of Seth, but who marry the ungodly daughters of Cain. 
and this actually parallels the sequence of the fall itself in Genesis 3, 6. Uh, so, in other words, they saw, they desired, and they took. After all, the lineage of Seth was supposed to be the godly line uh, from whom the Redeemer was to come, Genesis 4.26. Now, this also accords with the fact that humans are also referred to in the Old Testament as God's sons, Isaiah 43.6. So, further, the Nephilim can be seen existing after the flood in Numbers 13.33 as giants, but they were still mere men. And so if the flood was meant to wipe them out, well, how do you explain the fact that the descendants of the Nephilim were purported to have also lived after the flood? So, now it is true that the word for Nephilim means fallen ones. However, it does not necessarily follow logically or scripturally that they'd be from fallen angels. In fact, it is evident from both Genesis chapter 6 and Numbers chapter 13 that the Nephilim are fallen ones because they are wicked and they will be cast out of the kingdom just like the angels were cast out. So both accounts in Genesis and Numbers clearly state that the Nephilim are mere men, albeit giants. And if these men were possessed or influenced by demons and then raped women or whatever, uh, well, then they would still be fallen ones regardless. But it simply doesn't follow to read into the text that angels who are bodiless and sexless spirits cohabited with human females. Now, I do concede to the fact that there have been archaeological finds that reveal giant humans existed in the past, but the Bible also acknowledges the fact that giants existed, but those giants were mere men. And finally, why would God allow fallen angels to breed with humans knowing that their children would be half human and half angel? It doesn't make any sense. Would this support polytheism? So, is it even possible that half of a human would be created and exist? It is written that angels cannot be redeemed. So, can only half of a human be redeemed? And if so, how? But if not, uh-oh, did the Lord fail to redeem them? Or were they never human and never worthy to be called human, even though they were half-human? So, no, the Nephilim are not half-breeds produced by demons raping human females. But demons do exist, and they are able to possess people if they have opened themselves up to possession via their free will. So it's... It's sort of like saying that saying, uh, if you play stupid games, you'll win stupid prizes. So if a person, by his or her own free will, lives a wicked life, rebelling against God's ways and right living, well, there's a possibility that person could become possessed by a demon, because you're walking that direction by your own free will. So in conclusion, look, according to all that is written in Scripture, I believe the rebellious angels who were cast down are demons. They're unclean spirits. Therefore, demons are fallen angels, and the fallen angels are unclean spirits. So, whether a person is seeking a medium in order to contact the dead, or someone is using a Ouija board in order to communicate with the dead, the person would be communicating with a spirit who is not a human, 
And if God clearly commanded us not to communicate with the spirits, which God clearly communicated this, well, why do you think that would be? Well, because if they are unclean spirits, meaning demons, don't do it. And this is why God commands us not to. Um, it's not to restrict you. It's for your benefit. This is... Uh, not a fun and harmless thing. They, this can open a person up to demonic possession. And again, Hebrews 9.27 is clear in that we all die once and then afterwards comes judgment. That is what happens to a person's soul after death. He or she awaits judgment. So the human soul is not wandering around lost trying to communicate with living humans on earth. The result of this judgment is eternal life on the new earth for the believer and hell for the unbeliever. Look, there is no in-between. There is no possibility of remaining on earth in spirit form as a ghost and you just don't know what you're doing and where you're going. What humans perceive to be ghosts are actually demons and they are not trying to help you. Therefore, obey God for your benefit Stay away from demonic activities. There's a reason God commanded us not to communicate with spirits. It's, it's not harmless and fun. It's, it will open you up to demonic possession. Now, in 1 Samuel chapter 28, the Bible mentions King Saul seeking out a medium in order to contact the dead, who was the prophet Samuel. This is called necromancy. Well, what can we learn from that incident? Well... To find that out, you'll have to watch my other video, 1 Samuel 28, Necromancy.